Here we go. All right, it's Thursday, September 3rd. Must be time for Nudge Coach Happy Hour. Uh, Mac, does this sound appropriate? Do you think we can do this today? This does sound appropriate. Fair warning, everybody. Because of the holiday weekend, this is a Thursday and not a Friday, so a little bit different for us. I I hope everybody's okay with that. Um, no judgments for me, for sure. Um, but the good news is we'll get this out a little bit earlier. Uh, so that'll be nice for everybody. Hopefully you'll be listening to this on Friday. Yeah, that means two, technically two episodes kind of within a week period. So that's, yeah, kudos to everybody. That's a win for sure. Yeah. Um, so it's been a good week. We've had a lot of conversations already on just a Thursday. Um, you should also know that Mac and I got together this weekend, which was crazy. It's strange to get together in person with people. In uh, person. Yeah. We had a nice little morning in the park together with our significant others. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and one very small human, one tiny One baby small human. Um, handled it pretty well, though. You I, say? Thought, I thought you did a good job. I do think, though, you've set yourself up for the perpetual motion thing that you're probably just going to have to hold and walk around with your baby nonstop. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much the case. So I, I just strap the baby to me and walk in circles when I hang out with people. That's pretty much what we have to do. I wonder if there's a situation where your, your baby starts getting like, trained to essentially just only be happy during during motion so at some point like is this like a slippery slope type thing here we need to be worried about it probably is all the parents out there right into the show we need your help um (laughs) we don't know what we're doing (laughs) Uh, we don't know what we're doing that's true Um, to be fair though any any questions or feedback for sure are about babies or coaching always welcome that's right. You can email them to podcast at nudgecoach.com. Um, or go. also reach out to us through social media. We're there too. By the um, way, what may be interesting too as we're getting going is because we have started, for anyone that hasn't caught one of these, Phil and I now do kick these off with an Instagram live session. Um, either if you're following the Nudge Coach account um, or my personal account, Mac underscore Gamble. We've talked about this. I think I accidentally created an account years ago that got deleted. That was just Mac Gamble. Now there's an underscore there. <laughs> I know it's frustrating, but we have to deal with it. Um, so we usually do kind of a five to 10 minute teaser. We'll walk, kind of walk through kind of ideation of what we're going to talk about today. It's usually fun. It's lax. As you recall, these are basically us each at the end of each week, just kind of going through what we've encountered, you know, up to the moment of in the world of coaching with our yep. current customers or prospects. So, And speaking of that, so what's been going on this week? I know um, we have had a lot of conversations specific to us around onboarding, which gets to the idea of Mac, basically how people are introducing a coaching app, um, the idea of using a coaching app into their workflows. Yeah. And I think this is, we had a nice little chat about this on the Instagram live beforehand. This is something that's interesting because I I think it actually gets to, and I kind of mentioned this, was it reminds me of conversations I've had with some of my friends that are in software sales. And I've heard one of them specifically say, we were talking about pilots one time, hey, I love pilots, but when we create pilots or set someone up on pilots, they're very structured. Like we, we have a defined goal, we know what we're measuring, so on and so forth. And that's one thing I would actually challenge any coach that's starting to kind of go this remote route and play with different systems. 
is be very cautious about just throwing something out to clients and say, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about using this and making it very kind of open-ended, nonchalant. I, I tend to find you kind of get out what you put in in a situation like that, where I really believe if you're going to be experimenting with different platforms, that you need to make sure you have guardrails in place, you're still setting expectations. And that just, I think to your point, segued all the way into what does effective onboarding look like? So. Yeah. Full circle there. So full circle. Um, yeah, I think. Um, yeah, so a couple of good points there. I, you know, what jumps into my mind when this comes up inevitably is there's this strange kind of misalignment of expectations. I feel like between rolling out a new software platform, as the example we're working with here, versus like if you were gonna, you know, roll out to your first handful of of trial clients with a new coaching program that you have, your test cases, you're going to be kind of all in on and create mm -hmm. every opportunity for yourself to jump in and create a great personal experience all along the way. But for some reason, and you know, we're probably even guilty of this too, when we try different systems, when it comes to software, we're just like, oh, it's the software. It's going to do it for us. Um, and so yep. we just sit back and forget that, you know, when you're trying something new, it's new to your clients too. So, you know, there should really mm -hmm. be some time given to the idea of, okay, I want to be careful about the way I introduce this. Make sure the expectations are aligned with this person who's trying this for me on the other end. And then maybe at the end, I can bring up the idea yeah. that, hey, I really want to get feedback on how that went for you. Um, if you don't really roll it into your workflows and build everything in place to where how you would actually use it, then you're not giving a fair test or a fair run yeah. at anything that you're incorporating in your business. Yeah. And this is, I, I don't, I can't remember who came up with this analogy, but I use this in a lot of the implementation calls with our partners is the idea of when you were in school, the teacher didn't just throw a book on your desk and say, good luck. It was broken into chapters and exercises, and it was very much a guided process and a guided experience. And I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind when you're thinking about use of technology within coaching is that, at the end of the day, people work with you because of you, not because of the technology. I've actually seen some of people we've encountered torpedo their initiatives because they put too much reliance on tech, technology or scalability in, in times and places in which it probably wasn't appropriate. And it, things have just kind of gone off the rails. And I think it's just so important to realize there's, there is that balancing act of making sure, hey, we do have efficiency in place through the use of technology. We can enhance experiences in some ways. But hey, at the end of the day, it's people still work with you because of you. You know, it's tough mm -hmm. to really substitute that fact. Yeah. And don't don't we always, you know, realize that we we typically roll things out in ways that don't scale first, prove them out to ourselves and to um, the rest of our team if we're in a business, prove them out, find then what after we've learned from those experiences, what we can streamline and automate and then go from there into, into scalability. I think that's kind of the, as you map out any transition to something new, the way, you know, it kind of is most helpful to look at that type of transition. Yeah. Every, anyone that, I think anyone that knows me knows I love this quote, do things that don't scale. That's like, I can't remember who that's from in the startup world. Is it from Eric Reese or... I can't remember at this point. It's, it's one of those guys. And definitely uh, sounds like something he would have said. That sounds like something I, my apologies <laughs> if we're giving credit to someone who, who, who didn't necessarily come up with that. But I think there's something to be said with that where it's, 
and, and it, this kind of ties into the stuff we we're talking about with Lauren Tickner on the episode regarding kind of high ticket offerings, because the idea is before you start getting into these highly scalable offerings or digital assets or pieces that you're selling, it is so important to make sure you're really, really comfortable and aware and, and have put significant time into the core pieces of your business first before you start thinking too much about scalability. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think, I think about some of the initiative we've seen out there before that haven't gone as well. I tend to find it's usually when people try to get too scalable too quickly. Yeah, it's, it's funny. The success rate is so different from people who kind of go in with a humble outlook and, you know, a real plan to scale through a lot of kind of yeah. banging on the pavement, you know, doing the work, doing the hustle versus people who come in and say, here's the program that I'm going to launch. Um, we're going to charge $50 a month and we're going to get 200 clients in the first two weeks and it's all going to be automated. We built it all already. We're just going to hit play and it's going to go. Um, what happens more often than not with those types of plans, unfortunately, is just that you never get off the ground at all, uh, which is just a painful place to be in when you build out all that stuff, all the automation, all the programming, all those pieces. And you kind of skip the step of it inevitably is going to have to start with some, you know, real one-to-one hustle, making relationships, stuff like that to get things off the ground. And I think all of these ideas connect. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, I, I would typically say, and I say this to a lot of our partners is I believe onboarding is 90% of the battle. I really think those initiatives that we see that are the most successful are the ones that have just been meticulous and and incredibly methodical about how they're going to handle onboarding. That if you can create a great onboarding flow, and I think we we always reference what we've put together, those uh, rules of engagement, that document that kind of has some things that we always encourage, kind of talking points to always bring up with your clients when you're onboarding them, you know, such as setting expectations of like responsiveness and what's appropriate, what's not kind of, you know, just the basic level setting, which for what it's worth, is usually overlooked in most initiatives. I'd say almost right. 95% of the initiatives I work on, I have to be the one to bring stuff like that up or someone from our team does because it's just, it's new. And I think that's part of the issue is so much of this is this idea of remote coaching. It's just, it's uncharted territory, but I, it's 90%. I swear those that are the most successful are the ones that really think through when are we introducing the idea of remote coaching? How are we articulating it? What are the steps in which we're going to get this person onto a platform of some kind and making sure that they're holding the person's hand going through that process? Because if you, if you just send out a link or send out some kind of note of, hey, this is what we use, go on board yourself, I can tell you how successful you're going to be very quickly. Not very. Yeah. <laughs> I think another way to think about it is almost like um, having a frequently asked questions section in a support documentation or just on a website you kind of sit down and take the time to consider, okay, what are the questions that I'm getting a lot or where are maybe the things that the gaps in this website, how I'm presenting my material um, that are going to continue to come up. Um, What have I not thought of yet? Let me try to address that. It's kind of the next stage of that where you've made, you know, made the sale, you've got this person starting your program, but you want to make sure that upfront, if you set those expectations at a certain place with questions that may be open-ended um, otherwise, totally open-ended otherwise, you're setting a bar for expectations that the, then you can exceed that bar. Whereas if you don't mention all these things, 
you don't know where the bar is throughout the relationship. And, and really the client is going to expect perfection in those areas. Yep. A lot of times if you don't specifically say it. So if I don't say, Hey, this app is really for me to, to, you know, provide some personalized support for you. Um, and if you just leave it at that, they're going to might assume if I message you at one in the morning on Friday, because I was stress eating or something, <laughs> I'm going to get a pretty quick response here when, and, and when you don't, obviously, mm-hmm. when you, when you get back to them, even Saturday morning in that scenario, that might be disappointing to that client. Whereas if you said up front, Hey, this, this app is for that purpose, but just keep in mind, you know, I have a life too. I've got stuff going on. I will always get back to you within 48 hours through this app. If you just said that up front and you responded on, on Sunday, in that case, it would almost be viewed as over delivering, mm-hmm. um, for that same client, even though you, you prov- provided a less immediate response and less immediate service. So those expectations are so important up front. They can yeah. totally define and redefine the experience that people have when they're going through it um, with you even behaving the same way on your end. It's, it's funny because one thing with this too that I, I often think is kind of an overlooked piece as well is and it, it may seem really obvious sometimes to the coach, but I think sometimes it isn't quite as obvious to the client. And I think that detail sometimes get overlooked is, a little bit of like, what do I do now <laughs> kind of moment where if, if a client's being onboarded and it, it, like I said, the coach may have all these ideas in their mind of like, Hey, I'm going to be pumping content through this. I'm going to have this person tracking this. Like I've got it all worked out in my mind. The client maybe doesn't have clarity on that piece. And, and I would challenge anyone listening to this to kind of take a step back and really think about how you have these conversations with clients when you're first starting the relationship because I tend to find we could all be far more clear about this. And I think sometimes, like I said, a client gets onboarded into a system, regardless of the system. And it is a little bit of like, okay, what do I do now? Why is this important? Why should I care? And I think, unfortunately, if you're in a stage where you're just trying some different technologies out, trying to see kind of what makes sense for your business, you may be getting some really poor feedback because you haven't kind of set the, you know, set the foundation right or haven't contextualized things properly. So you may be getting kind of false data points. Mm-hmm. So something just to be aware of. Yeah. If I were, so if I were trying to gather feedback on something like that, I would try to deliver the fullest experience I can and then ask for feedback after the fact. Um, you know, yeah, that's I, I would try most of the time unless, um, unless it was a new program and I wanted to be very clear about that up front. And in which case it would be very, very hands-on for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, typically I would try to deliver as best I possibly can the full experience and then, and then try to gather that feedback at the end. I think that is such a great point because I think those expectations change the way people view a pro- So if you told me, if you were going to be coaching me and you were onboarding me and you said, Hey, look, I'm just trying some things out for some reason in my mind, as soon as you said that, I was like, I'm going to be start being very critical of you. I'm going to start like, you know, I'm going to look at this a little bit differently. I'm, I'm more of just judging things. I'm not, it, it becomes less about me. I feel like at that point is the client and more about just, Hey, what is this platform? Yeah. Which I don't necessarily think is the, yeah, I, I think there's something to be said with exploring this and kind of taking a step back of how we're piloting things in a coaching environment. Yeah. It's almost like you're turning that client into the critic up front. It's like their role, your role is the critic. You're going to, you're here to critique me now um, rather than going in, trying to provide that full experience to get that outcome. And then at the end we can, we can circle back to that. It's, it's 
I mean, not terribly different. And I was thinking about this just the other day when come when uh, you're thinking about kind of how to identify your right price point. Mm -hmm. There are different ways that you can gather feedback on that in different times in the workflow. Um, and I would be very considerate about when I'm asking for that type of feedback. For example, you could ask some really early prospects if you haven't identified the right price point for your program yet. Um, you could, you know, pitch the outcome and all the valuable things included in your program. And then at the end of that conversation, ask, so what would you be willing to pay for that? Mm -hmm. um, and that's one way to gather that feedback. Another way would be to have what your kind of price point is in mind and incorporate that into the pitch up front and just see reaction to the, that actual price point being thrown at people. You're going to get different, but, but useful feedback in both of those cases. So I would be considerate of that when I'm, I'm going through kind of testing of different products too. Yeah. It almost makes me wonder too, is it worth using a, you know, using a system or whatever platform you're going to use or technology running the program and then holding until the very end to kind of ask, Hey, would you like about a way in, in almost not putting as much emphasis on that to see if the platform, and you can even test out a platform with each one of your clients, potentially. I don't, I don't know, but <clears throat> one of those things where I just, I, I think this does just come back around to that whole idea of the appropriate way to handle piloting within a coaching setting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At the very least, I would think about the right times within the flow to ask for feedback mm -hmm. and maybe not to lead with it. Um, Cause you know, you could get some really useful feedback without um, harming the relationship at all 30 days in, because you've already been providing that value for 30 days and they knew what yeah. to expect. Um, so then you get the ask out there, maybe one or two questions on a simple survey. Hey, this app is actually kind of new to our business. Wanted to see what you thought of how it's going so far, A, mm -hmm. B, and C, you know? Yeah, this kind of gets back to, this is going to be funny. I think every every one of these, we're going to like come back to the same themes. This reminds me of back to the whole idea of like customer development of like proper customer development. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, this is just a part of that process they should be doing is having that, having that conversation ongoing with a client as you're further, you know, iterating and evolving your offering and your product over time, which, you know, I know we recently, I think had a blog post about it. And I think we even talked about that maybe even last time, but Probably so. I think it's going to keep coming up. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you're, if you're totally out on hearing similar things over and over again, you might be in the wrong place, I guess, because we're going to come back to a few. Uh, Wait a second, we talked about this. Sure. <laughs> but I think I, I'm glad we're touching on this, though, because obviously a lot of what I do most weeks is working with some of our partners on the implementation side. And so onboarding is something that is, we, we are having to have conversations about this pretty regularly. And what I think, though, is not discussed enough is this idea, like I said, as we're thinking about onboarding with under the idea of like, imagine these are new things or there's untested things that we do want to be getting feedback on. And I think that's, that's not something that I get a chance to talk about as much with our partners that I'm intrigued to have this conversation. I actually probably going to change my approach a little bit as we start thinking about this with some of our implementations moving forward. Cause I think this is an interesting thing to maybe weave in is maybe thinking about ideas of surveys 30 days in or something like that, that our partners could be using. Yeah. And this is absolutely bigger than a, you know, go to nudgecoach.com, create your coaching app type thing. This is a, you know, I just rolled out a new video. It's part of our workflow. Mm -hmm. Maybe a couple of weeks after that video, I asked people for feedback on what they thought of the video and what it added to the experience for them. And this can be used for oh yeah for sure old piece of the program um, 
I would just, I like the idea of leading in as if it's business as usual and then circling back to it after the fact. Well, that, that's definitely the big takeaway here, at least for me, is thinking about it from that perspective of, hey, look, let's go at it like this is, you know, even if this is kind of a beta client, let's go at this like this is, this is real business as usual, as you mentioned. And then maybe let's just weave in any of these new or untested things within maybe surveys or, or interviews or something like that after you know, a month or two or some period of time. Yeah. And if that happens along the way, it really does. It, it feels right too. It feels like you care. Mm-hmm. You're getting that feedback um, within the, the framework of an ongoing relationship where you've been delivering value. So then it just feels like you value these people's opinion. Um, yeah. So what, so here's another question. Cause I've, I've heard this from a person before as they were talking about using coaching systems previously was, um, you know, clients maybe not liking it. And I, I've heard it before and I've always been intrigued with that response or that, that, you know, that idea from a coach that maybe, maybe they tried out a system and maybe for some reason their clients preferred one versus another. I, I guess my question to you is, and I think this weaves back into what you were saying is at, at what point, at what point does a coach say, you know, this is, this is what I'm using. This is what I use to stay connected. And it's kind of like, you know, it is what it is. I mean, this is a part of my program. This is what I'm using. Mm-hmm. And I always just always intrigued to, to understand the, how things are being back to the whole idea of framing and onboarding is, does that come down to a process, some kind of friction point or pitfall in the process or how things are being articulated? Or is there actually, do we see that, Hey, look for some clients, a certain system may be better, better for others, better for some than others. Yeah. And that's absolutely the case. I don't think anyone can tell you, especially mm-hmm. anyone who's out in the world building software and putting it out there that's yeah. constantly getting this feedback. I don't think anybody can tell you that, oh, it's just the way you're framing it that's causing this problem. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. Asking, asking the question because yeah. I've, I've just won. And I, I agree with it. There, there's some, obviously, form, you know, form you know, dictates function or whatnot. Um, I think yeah. some systems are going to be better for coaches or trainers or, you know, whatever the profession may be versus others, but how much, I mean, how defined is it? I guess, how much crossover, Where, where's the gray area, where are the lines? Yeah. I mean, I think you, you know, you do the work, try to find the one that's best fit for you. And as you're trying each one, try it as if it's the solution you're going forward with. Um, that's how you end up with a, a real comparison about what is going to be the best fit for you. Um, and yeah, I would just build it into your workflow. So the, the biggest thing that you can be doing, honestly, I think to frame it the right way up front is to really consider how it fits in and then build as much clarity as you possibly can around it, um, around how they're going to be using it so that they know what you expect and then you know what they expect and you're having these conversations to make sure that nothing is possibly misunderstood. Um, and that's, that's kind of the best thing that you can do in order to give it a fair shake as a part of your process, whether it's, you know, using platform A to platform Z, um, any of them um, are just going to be a piece of the puzzle and need to be introduced properly. That's awesome. That's a good, that's a good point. Do you ever think there's a scenario in which someone should be testing, you think about the idea of AB testing within the software world or within marketing, you know, like you test different versions of a landing page or different versions of an email is there a, do you ever see coaches? Have you heard of coaches maybe even trying out two different systems potentially or two different, it seems complicated. I'm just, I'm asking the question because I'm wondering if, if we've seen anything like that. I'm trying to rack you know, my brain if I have. I've for sure seen just 
emails. I've never, I don't think been on a call with someone who is actually going through the process of working with two different people on two different platforms, which I can understand why that's the case. Yeah, that seems, but for organizations and maybe multiple coaches, I could see it potentially. And I'm just that, trying to that think could about potentially that. work. Um, but you know, the reason AB testing is so easy in marketing is there are platforms designed to kind of yeah. magically make that happen in the background without, you know, someone having to manually hustle and, and create all these different assets. Like mm-hmm. I can create two different versions of the same landing page pretty easily and just using a tool, tell it mm-hmm. to, you know, show this version to half of the people and this version to half of the other people and see what happens in the coaching world. If you're working, really working with people, um, that's going to take some work. You're going to have to be familiar with two different platforms and, you know, keep it clear and sort it in your own head all the way through the process, or at least as far as you're willing to run that test. So it'd be interesting to, to put that question out there to more people, Mac, and find out. But well, the I reason I bring this up is it kind of gets back to what you were talking about, that I think when we're thinking about piloting here or testing out something or really handling the onboarding experience is you really do have to invest. There's not really a good way for you to kind of, um, I don't know, kind of half it or half asset in, in a way. Like, I feel like you really do have to say, Hey, look, like I'm, I may be trying this system or trying this technology or this, this workflow or whatever it may be, but you kind of have to really go through with it. You can't, you can't kind of half commit if that makes sense. And it seems like that's the only really way to do real way to do it. And to your point, it's something that clarity is important. And you, the key, I think, for success is just making sure that you're working closely with the client. Mm-hmm. Absolutely right. You can't kind of, you can't cheat the coaching process. That's a relationship. There's a you lot can't more. cheat the coaching process. <laughs> that needs to be in the show notes. It sounds so simple, but I really think that touches on everything we've been talking about. Yeah. All right. I'm glad I get one out every few weeks. So we'll mark that point. That's it. No, I think you're right though. You can't, you can't cut the corners of coaching. Like there's ways in which I think systems and technology can improve efficiency, but at the end of the day, you're still coaching. And I think that's a really important detail. Yeah. That's going to be a lot, a totally different prospect to try to test a solution uh, or AB test two solutions in that context than it is to just someone seeing a landing page once um, test test those two options mm. um, within the context of a relationship you're really AB testing yourself against yourself within this kind of ongoing back and forth which is a lot I'm sorry I'm looking at my calendar right now because I'm trying to remember some of the other calls we had this week <laughs> that maybe would have shaped or fit into this conversation a little bit um, Oh, I know one thing. So um, I was talking to, to one of our partners about, you know, training their team with respect to, to implementation. And one thing that does come up sometimes that I think is a factor people should be aware of is experience with remote coaching versus, you know, so a person that has maybe, because I think every system is going to have some kind of learning curve, mm-hmm. but I, we've touched on this before. Remote coaching is a skill set, And I think that is something that is also overlooked is that idea of, hey, I'm a coach, I'm used to working with people, and I've had a smartphone for 10 years, or whatever it is. I've texted people for years, like, therefore, I'm a, I'm a remote coach. And I think that is a, a gross, you know, a, a gross exaggeration. But I think it's also one of those things that we do sometimes see. And I think when we're thinking about implementation, we're thinking about onboarding, 
I think we also need to think about the coach and their experience within the first handful of days too, and how they're expected to use it. We kind of touched on expectations for a minute, but -hmm. in terms of what are we expecting from a coach um, in terms of the types of messaging and communication, the frequency of communication, not just respond, not just responding to a client, but what it, what is that remote experience like? Is it one message a week with, um, or two messages a week, one of which being content-based, one of which being feedback on data. But that was, that was one thing that came up this week is that idea of training a team that didn't have a lot of experience in remote coaching. Yeah. And that's something that is a, new, is a factor or a variable that needed to be addressed. So, Yeah. And I mean, it's so interesting to think about. I'll, I'll ask it. I'm going to frame it back to you. Do you think traditional health coaches are well suited to transitioning to remote health coaching right off the bat, or I'm using health just as an example. here. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. It's funny because I feel like health and fitness coaches are the ones that maybe have the hardest time transitioning. And I think it's because so much of what they traditionally do is in person or need a knee Mm -hmm. that where other types of coaches we've seen. And I, I think about, um, sales coaches, or I think about, um, you know, even thinking about some of the people using, using nudge now, some of the, like the pro gamers who are esports coaches and things like that. I think yeah. there's inherently some coaching types that are already using technology in ways, maybe health and fitness weren't using it quite to that extent. Um, mm-hmm. so I do feel like that's usually this, those are the segments that maybe have a harder time transitioning. Yeah, and I think you mentioned this on a previous episode, but um, the the ones and the guys in health and fitness who tend to be able to transition well are the the folks who are like influencers on on Instagram or something like that. Yes, who are used to communicating in these kind of asynchronous kind of batches of concise text rather than sitting knee to knee and having this long winded dialogue, um, because that's just the way that people communicate through text message and online mm-hmm. platforms and stuff like that. Well, we've talked about it before, some of the pitfalls we've seen before with, with coaches or organizations who, in looking at the way they've, they've kind of taken a first swing or a first crack at remote is incredibly lengthy messages, you know, writing thousand word messages to clients, which were like, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not the way to go about it. And you're right. I think it, it's the ones that are almost, you know, we've talked about like some of these Instagram influencers um, or social media influencers that are kind of writing i always say keep it like to the length of a tweet which i guess yeah. twitter's probably changed their character limit now so that may not be appropriate yeah, but one point in there. <laughs> that idea of being able to be incredibly concise with your messaging and also being able to you know factor in some kind of prompt of, for a response for someone else it's not just a long-winded you know you know narrative or or you know piece of feedback um yeah. And in exchanging brief messages, you have to think like a marketer a little bit too, to, you know, engagement is about reciprocity. It's about getting a response from someone to, so you know that they're absolutely um, absorbing what you're putting out there and, you know, are still with you there. So ending short uh, little bits of, of guidance and personalized feedback with a question mark just to elicit a response or little things like that or things that people who have spent more time in the digital world would do off the bat, but maybe some more traditional coaches who are really damn good at being mm-hmm. coaches. It takes them a little bit more time to transition to. Yeah. I think it just gets to the importance of really focusing on that onboarding experience and understanding that expectations need to be set for both sides. 
Mm-hmm. And you can't, you really can't, um, you, you need to be all in. You need to be invested in that portion of the process that I think is just sometimes overlooked and is probably the most sensitive aspect of the relationship. I agree. All in on the first handful of weeks. Um, it's, it's If I went back to college, I think that would be my approach too. Just nail the first few weeks of every class. Nail the first coast. few weeks. There you go. <laughs> Secret of life, right? That's funny. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, yeah, I think that's the magic here. Be as clear as you possibly can, setting expectations up front, go all in with that. And yeah, if you nail the first few weeks, I really think you could buy yourself a lot of goodwill with a client mm-hmm. over the long term and build a real relationship. God, that's, it, this is interesting because as much as we've talked about this internally, I think we, we highlighted a few pieces here that I hadn't even thought about and you probably hadn't even thought about before with this. And I think it really comes down to the importance of, like I said, if I was going to summarize this, clients work with you because of you, not the technology. You can't, you know, you have to invest if you're going to try something out, whether it's a technology or platform or whatnot. This may be new for them. It may be new for you. So really, I think you can't communicate enough, you know, work closely with people and make sure you're asking for feedback along the way, doing just, you know, good, good um, customer development work. Yep. Love it. Well, I think we've, we've nailed that one, Mac. I, I can't imagine we could have done any better. <laughs> I, I think for a Thursday being a little bit, you know, have going into a holiday weekend, I think we did okay here. It could have, yeah. I, it'll be interesting to see next week because next week can be interesting. It's a shorter week because Monday's a holiday. We'll have, to, you know, it's all going to be crammed and crazy. We're going to get into Friday. Just, I wonder what Friday brings. It should be exciting. Um, as well as scaling businesses, we're thinking about scaling up wine glasses, as you can see here. So <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Talking about scale, your your wine glass today is maybe the size of my head. Yeah, for all those people who loved that show Scandal, this is some Olivia Pope <laughs> stuff right here. <laughs> that's that's too funny. Yeah, I, I feel like I've uh, my my little mug right here is clearly not not doing me. Oh, I love how the virtual backgrounds on Zoom. You can't even see it. So it's like this magical mug that just is floating around once I put it in front of me. Yeah, you're really just drinking some mysterious substance there. I wouldn't trust it at all. No, no, no. Well, this has been awesome. Until next time. See you guys.